Hello and welcome back to West Bank Bible Church Podcast. Pastor Merritt and I are here in the continuing study of the book of Daniel. Today we will be on lesson number five, if you want to follow along in the outline. But before we begin, as is our custom, let's remember 1 John 1, 9, as may or may not be necessary. Father, we are grateful for the privilege of being able to study the book of Daniel. Guide us now and direct us and help us to remember 1 John 1, 9 will get us in a teachable position. And uh, that's what we hope to do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Last week we finished the introduction to the book of Daniel. Now we are ready to begin an analysis of Daniel chapter 1. The KJV of that first verse reads as follows. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. Now that's the KJV. Let's see what the NIV looks like. Verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. After the battle of Carchemish, Nebuchadnezzar pursued the army of Pharaoh, Necho. The Egyptians were in full-scale retreat, having been beaten by the Babylonians slash Medo-Persian coalition. As Nebuchadnezzar followed Necho's expeditionary force, excuse me, expeditionary force south, he passed by the beautiful city of Jerusalem using divination to determine what he should do he decided an ark excuse me let's get it right he decided an attack of Jerusalem was the preferred course of action so he allowed Necho's expeditionary force to escape to Egypt. We can read about that in Ezekiel chapter 21 and 20, verse 22. For the king of Babylon stood at the parting of the way at the head of the two ways to use divination. He made his arrows bright, meaning he shined them. He consulted with images. He looked in the liver. At his right hand was the divination for Jerusalem. Let me explain that for the moment. As we read... He had a chance to go two ways. 
and uh, he wanted to know how to do that, so he so consulted the devil by means of divination. He shined his arrows, rubbed them one against another, and uh, pitched them in the air, and whichever way they pointed, that's the way he was going to go, but he needed more confidence. So he consulted with images, uh, and that's what the look at the way the arrows pointed meant. But he also killed an, we don't really know what kind of animal, but he killed an animal, tore the liver out, and punched it with his finger. And by doing that, it jumped. And uh, the way it jumped, that's the way he was going to go. All right, let's go on now. He, know, he knows where he thinks he's supposed to go because the devil has, in essence, told him by means of what we call divination. After surrounding Jerusalem, Nebuchadnezzar or Nezer, however you want to pronounce it, demanded its surrender. In response, Jehoiakim, king of Judah, shut its gates and a battle ensued. Daniel 1-2 says, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried off uh, to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God, little g. Now let's see how the NIV is translated. Verse 2 of chapter 1. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. <coughs> Excuse me. These he's carried off, he carried off to the temple of his God, and that was in Babylonia, and put up the treasure house of his God. After several days of fighting, Jerusalem negotiated terms and surrendered. David, how about you taking over on the next verse? At some point, perhaps just before or just after negotiating the terms of surrender, Nebuchadnezzar received word his father, Nabopolassar, had died. Consequently, he returned to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar was not only impressed by the beauty of Jerusalem, but he no doubt had heard tales of how Hezekiah imprudently disobeyed the entire wealth of Jerusalem to Merodach Baladan, one of several prominent chieftains of Babylon. The book of Second Kings records the historical event and the book of Isaiah provides a historical record and prophecy of the ramifications of Hezekiah's era. 
2 Kings chapter 20, verses 12 through 17. At that time, Merodach Baladan, son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent Hezekiah letters and a gift, because he had heard of Hezekiah's illness. Hezekiah received the messengers and showed them all that was in his storehouses, the silver, the gold, the spices, and the fine oil, excuse me, oil, his armory, and everything found among his treasures. There was nothing in his palace or in all his kingdom that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah, the prophet, went to King Hezekiah and asked, What did those men say, and where did they come from? From a distant land, Hezekiah replied, they came from Babylon. The prophet asked, What did they see in your palace? They saw everything in my palace, Hezekiah said. There is nothing among my treasures that I did not show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your fathers have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. Isaiah chapter 39, verse 3 through 8. Then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and asked, What did those men say, and where did they come from? From a distant land, Hezekiah replied. They came to me from Babylon. The prophet asked, What did they see in your palace? They saw everything in my palace, Hezekiah said. There is nothing among my treasures that I did not show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord Almighty. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your fathers have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, said the Lord. And some of your descendants, <coughs> your flesh and blood, who will be born to you, will be taken away. And they will become eunuchs in the palace of the kings of Babylon. The word of the Lord you have spoken is good, Hezekiah replied, for the thought there will be peace and security in my lifetime. So, in fulfillment of prophecy, Nebuchadnezzar took many of the temple implements, his house of the Lord, in Babylon. Though originally denied by many secular historians, we later learned from archaeology that the Chaldeans practiced the custom of taking worship implements from the temples of other nations and placing them in their own places of worship. This was seen as a sign that my God is better than your God. The practice was quite old and no doubt practiced by many nations in the area of Palestine. For example, the Philistine took the ark and to their great chagrin, chagrin placed it in their temple of Dagon, the fish god. And the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer unto Ashdod. When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. And when they of Ashdod rose early on the morrow, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. 
And they took Dagon and set it in his place again. This God was Dagon, who is mentioned in the Rosh Sharma tablets as the father of Baal, similar to Balu of the Babylonians. Now let's turn to our study of Daniel chapter 1, verse 2. Okay, study of Daniel, verse 2. Nebuchadnezzar needed a puppet king, so he placed Jehoiakim on the throne and wisely took measures to guarantee Jehoiakim's loyalty. As was the custom, he gave orders to Ashpenaz to pick the cream of the crop from the land as hostages. KJV, Daniel, verse 3, chapter 1. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes. NIV translates that, then, then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the noble excuse me, and the nobility. These young men were so to be selected carefully, as we will see. They were to come from the royal line, young Jewish noblemen. Their family position was to be such as to make them valuable hostages. Tradition tells us there were about 70 such men taken. Only four, including Daniel, are listed in Scripture. The word translated master in the KJV and chief in the NIV is better, prince of the eunuchs. The word rob in the Chaldean means head, large, or prince. We must remember that both the Hebrew and the Greek terms for eunuch was sometimes applied to people filling important posts without regard to corporal emasculation, although it is possible Daniel and the others were emasculated. On page 328 of Merrill F. Unger's famous Bible dictionary, he makes the point that eunuchs may very well have simply meant a man in a position of authority. Now let's look at verse 4, where we find a description of those taken. KJV of Daniel 1.4 Children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace with whom they may teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. 
NIV translates that, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The purpose of the taking, in part, was to ensure the loyalty of Jehoiakim. As you have just read, they were to be taught to speak and think like Chaldeans in order to better serve the king of Babylon. The statement they were to be young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. That tells us that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, with the same of 66 others, might and must been, must have been the following. Between the ages of 14 and 17, physically attractive, intelligent, well-mannered, royalty. Ashpenaz had the job of selecting and training the young men. He was a member of the king's inner circle holding what would be today a cabinet-level position. Daniel had earlier noted, and the others taken may not have been physically emasculated. On this point, we cannot be sure. What we do know, Ashpenaz and his subordinates had the responsibility of teaching them the language of Chaldean, the customs, mores, history, and religion of Babylon. The end product of Nebuchadnezzar's plan was a thorough brainwashing of some 50 to 70 young men who would stand and <coughs> serve in his palace as Chaldeans. It was his intention they ceased to be Israelites becoming instead talented and respected Chaldeans. Nebuchadnezzar, recall, was impressed with Jehoiakim's loyalty to Egypt's Pharaoh, that is, Pharaoh Necho. Therefore, he had confidence in King Jehoiakim would do a good job, but to make certain, he deemed the hostages important insurance. Daniel 1, 5, and I'm going to read the NIV. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after they were, that is to say after that, they were to enter the king's service. The plan was for the cream of Israel's royal crop to be trained up for three years. At about age 20, they would begin to serve in Nebuchadnezzar's palace as ministers to the king. These were not your average run-of-the-mill hostages. 
Their daily provision was the royal food of the king. While all the hostages received the same training, the scriptures will concentrate only Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were to eat the finest of food and wines. The meat, the meat was not blooded, and both the food and wines eaten had often been offered to Babylon's gods. The KJV for Daniel 1.6, How among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. In the NIV, Daniel 1.6, Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Brainwashing didn't begin with the POWs of the Korean War. Recall, there is nothing new under the sun, says Ecclesiastes 1.9, which reads, What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. We now have the Jewish boys listed first by their Jewish names, each of which name has meaning and significance. Let's look at their Hebrew names and their meanings. Daniel. His name means God is judge. Hananiah, his name means the Lord is gracious. Mishael, his name means who and what is the Lord. And Azariah, his name means the Lord is my help. Given what scripture we have, it would seem Daniel was the most unusual of all the boys taken hostage. In his appearance, he was aristocratic and good-looking. He was intelligent. Recall Ezekiel, implied Daniel, was a genius. Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 28.3, compares the brilliance of Satan to that of Daniel. As the greatest of all, he receives the most special of Chaldean names. Let's go to verse 7, where we will analyze the meanings of the new Chaldean names given each boy. Chapter 1, verse 7. Unto whom the prince of the eunuch gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name of Belshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. NIV. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belshazzar to Hananiah, Shadrach to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Daniel's new name is Belshazzar, which means Bel's prince. Bel was the supreme Akkadian god, Balu, the ruling god of the Babylonian pantheon and equivalent to Zeus, the chief god of Greece, and Jupiter, the chief god of Rome. Daniel must have looked as though he came from the hand of Belu. Daniel was identified with the chief of the Babylonian gods. A young man found himself with his early pressure of being selected to receive the best of names. Little did the Babylonians know that Daniel was already a man of doctrine. They could change his name, but they could not change the inner man. 
Daniel would learn much about the Chaldean language, religion, and customs. However, he would not be swayed from that which he knew was absolute, the Word of God. And that concludes Lesson 5 of the study of Daniel. Appreciate you being here. And Pastor Merritt, could you close us in a prayer? Father, we're privileged to be able to study the book of Daniel. It's a very interesting book. Uh, we're going to look forward to learning more how the young man did indeed prosper, though having to been taken captive. So, David, it's all yours. If there's anyone within the sound of our voice that is not has Jesus, Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, period. Until next time. So long.